This is a translation from a recorded Dharma talk. So we listened to the Dharma last night and uh, we probably have gained a good understanding into the foundations and the principles of the practice. That really what this practice is, is having mindfulness, is keeping our mind within the four foundations of mindfulness which is to recollect the body or feelings or the mind or the Dhamma as the object of the mind. Because it's the nature of our minds that they need to have some kind of an object in them. And so we get the mind to recollect these. Because if it's looking at an external object, recollecting something external, then the mind will always be getting sent outwards. Or if there's an object in the past, the mind thinks about that and proliferates upon that. And it's the same with an object in the future. And it will never meet with peace in this way. But really, both the past and the future, they're here in this present moment. And so if we have our mindfulness recollecting and knowing in the body, then we'll gain an understanding of this body. And uh, the mind will be kept within or here in the present moment. If we're sitting and there's some aches in the body, and then we know those feelings, we know that pain. And this is Vedana, is feeling. And so we can have our mindfulness there recollecting that feeling. Or sometimes there'll be thoughts, proliferation going on in the mind, and we know whether the mind is scattered or whether it's settled. Does it have greed, hatred, and illusion in it or not? And so here we're using our mindfulness to recollect the mind and to know the mind, and it's possible to use it in this way. And we can do this both when we're practicing here in the monastery and also when we're at home or we're working. We can follow and look at our minds in this way. And so when the mind receives a sense impression, it reacts very quickly and it goes and clings on to that. And it can respond in many different ways. If it's something that we don't like, then the mind can get angry and averse to that. And there can be this disliking that arises. And what should we do? Well, we just have mindfulness there and we know that that's what's happened. We know that the mind is starting to become dark. It's starting to get murky. And it's doing that because it doesn't like something. It doesn't like a sight. It doesn't like a sound that it's hearing. It doesn't like a taste or a touch. So there's something there that it dislikes. And when that thing, when we meet with that thing, then we suffer. And so if there's a lot of anger there in the heart, you see that this is a fire which burns the heart. And so we need to bring up this mindfulness there and knowledge. Knowing what's happening, knowing what feelings there are and what those feelings are like. And so we follow up and look at our minds in this way. And doing this is jitta, nupasana, satipatthana, 
using the mind as the foundation of the recollection. And we can also have Dhamma there as the foundation of mindfulness, which is that all things which arise, all physicality, all mentality, all of these are Dhamma, that everything really is Dhamma. And so we see all these things as being Dhamma, as that Dhamma is merely Dhamma. It's not a being, it's not a self, it's not me, it's not other. But this is quite a subtle thing to do, and if our minds aren't subtle, then we won't be able to contemplate in this way. But if they are in a subtle state, then we will be able to do that. But initially, when we start out in the practice, um, where should we place our mindfulness? Well, when we look at the breath, this is having mindfulness over the body. And if we know that the mind has liking or disliking, then this is having mindfulness here, knowing that we don't like this thing or this person. And uh, so if there are feelings um, there, then this is a namma dhamma, this is a mental quality, but it's also involved with the body as well. So it's important that we come to understand and contemplate this body, what's its truth, what's it actually, what is it actually like? Can it stay on in this world for long? Does it need to die? We can ask ourselves, well, how old are we this year? And how long are we going to live for? If we live till the age of 80, then how much time do we have left? So if we're 53 years old this year, then we've just got 27 years left. If we're 55, then it's 25 years. And so we think about things in this manner. We contemplate and ask ourselves, well, with the time that we have left in this life, then what should we do? Because we see that having been born, we have to die. That this life is not sure, but death is sure. That we need to meet with death, and that is certain. That the end of our life is death. And so we see that this life is not sure, and death is sure. But after we die, then where will we go? And if we have merit, if we have skillful qualities there as the object of our mind, then the mind will get born into a realm, into a place that is quite good, someplace higher, either in the heaven realms as a deva or up in the Brahma realms. But if at the point of death the mind is in a sad state, then it will likely get born lower than the human realm, as an animal, or into hell, or as a hungry ghost, or an asurakaya. So we see that really this mind is something that is very important. And so we must follow up and take care of these minds, always be looking at them. And this is what frees us from Mara's snare. It's what takes us out of suffering. And so this training of the mind is something that brings great benefit to us. Because suffering, it doesn't arise due to external things. But what it comes from is incorrect views that we hold. So we need to develop the mind so that they gain right view. 
need to find the truth of this life. We need to ask ourselves, where do we go? Where does this life go to? Where does it come from? And uh, we know that eventually we have to die. But after the breakup of the body, then what happens? And we see that when the body dies, then the mind doesn't just disappear. It's not the case that the body breaks apart and the mind also breaks apart and there's just nothingness or there's just emptiness. It's not like that. But the mind, it it carries on experiencing things, experiencing feelings, and it has this great power and energy to it. And it will go and get born again. It has this potential to get born again in another life, in another realm. And so when we're in that situation, we need to try and ensure that the next life, the next realm that we go to is a good one is one where we're able to cultivate more merit. And if we're going to ensure that, that the next life is a good one, then we need to bring our minds here into this present moment and to be aware of what's going on right here and now. Just like how we all are generous people, we like to cultivate sila, and we also need to meditate, we need to listen to the Dhamma as well. And... um, Caring for our parents is also something that's very important so that they have happiness, so that they are well. And so these are all things which are good things to do. They're all meritorious, they're all skillful acts. And we see that there are these ten kinds of meritorious and skillful acts. Keeping the five precepts or the eight precepts, these fall into one of those ten categories. And also meditation developing skillfulness and this is something that is very skillful very meritorious for us to do and it's a bit more difficult than the other aspects as well so we see that if there's a hundred generous people then it's difficult out of that hundred to just find one who keeps sila well who can keep these five precepts and if we have a hundred people who can keep the five precepts it's difficult to find just one who can keep the eight precepts And for all those who keep the eight precepts, it's difficult to find those who also meditate, who also cultivate their minds, because it's something that's quite tough to do. But we need to bring up the energy, the effort to do this, and to develop the quality of our lives, the quality of our hearts, so that that quality increases, so that it's better. And this essentially is the act of meditating, is that of cultivating, of developing. And it's something that brings great benefit to us. When we practice, we have this awareness of what it is that we're feeling. What are these feelings like? If we don't trade the mind, if we don't look after it, then what is that like? And the mind will always, in that state, be following greed, hatred, and delusion, because these qualities have great power, they hold great sway over the mind. And if we just allow the mind to follow them, to get dragged around by them, this brings no benefit to us. And instead, all we feel is suffering. All we get is harm, 
It brings a lot of danger to us. So what we should be doing, rather, is to care for our minds. Because when the Dhamma comes up within the heart, what this leads us to is coolness and happiness inside. So the Buddha found this path of practice, and he taught it to us as well. And he got us to contemplate the things that we attach to. And mostly what that is, is this body. And really it's all the physical things, all the mental things. Uh, but we come to these things, they kind of gather together in the body. And so we have this rupa, this form. And there's also the feelings, the memories or perceptions, the mental formations, the sense consciousness. Uh, but these mental qualities are able to exist due to this form, that we have a body, and then we're able to have feelings. We know this, these feelings, and there are memories that come up. And then, say, if we see something, this gets tied up in self as well. And we gain the understanding, the impression that I am the one that sees, that I listen then we respond to that, we either like it or we dislike it. So there's this memory that comes up, the sanya, and these memories are often tied up with self, with me and mine. And so they become a cause for suffering to arise. And then when the mind starts to think, then it thinks in terms of me and mine as well. And this just increases the suffering that we feel. We see that memory, or feelings, memory, the mental formations and sense consciousness, these are qualities of Dhamma that depend upon the body. And if there's no physicality, then there won't be any mentality. And if there's no mental qualities, then this physical form wouldn't get born either. And so if we take both of these together, these physical and mental qualities, what they come to is the five khandhas, these five heaps, these five aggregates. And if the mind is peaceful, then we're able to contemplate into these in a manner that allows us to see that they're not me and they're not mine. They're not a being, they're not a self, they're not me, they're not other. And then we'll be able to let go of the clinging that we have towards them. And really this, uh, the principles, these are the principles of the practice that take our minds to experience peace. So when we come to meditate, we can recite Buddha and recite this very, very quickly, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. And then when the mind gathers together, it starts to slow down, then we can slow down this recitation of Buddha as well. And the mind should become settled here. And when it's well established in peace, then it will eventually leave that state and start to think again. And so we use those thoughts to contemplate and to this body, to see it as being something that's always changing, something that is stressful and not self. Or sometimes we can begin our practice with this contemplation of the body, asking ourselves, where did it come from? How was it born? What's its state now? Is it currently deteriorating? And see that in the end it needs to pass away. 
And so we contemplate the body back and forth in this manner until we see it with clarity. And this should bring the mind to peace. And this is the path of using wisdom to develop samadhi. But we also need to know a sense of enoughness as well. How to get things in balance here. Ask ourselves why we're practicing. Are things in balance? Because sometimes if the mind is thinking a lot, that's because we're using too much contemplation. So we should come back and make the mind peaceful through samatha, through these calming methods. Using the breath, for example, watching the breath come and go, reciting buddha along with it. But at other times, we're able to contemplate in a manner that allows us to see clearly and that brings the mind to peace. And so we can practice in that way. So we need to have a sense of what's going on to be looking. And there are these two methods that we can follow. And we need to know why, when is appropriate to use each of the methods to look at our minds and to know which of these methods to bring up. And so if we're using this contemplation, but the mind isn't peaceful, that shows that samadhi is weak at that point. So we need to come back and use a calming method to know the breath, the in-breath, the out-breath, and be reciting buddha as well. And uh, sometimes the mind will go and think about unskillful things. It will get averse towards something. And we should know then that the mind is doing this. But for most of us, we don't want it to think in this way. We only want it to think about good things. But this just isn't possible. And so we know what's happening when we follow up on these thoughts. We ask ourselves, what are they like? We follow up, we know it. When the mind is thinking unskillful things, then we know that that's what it's doing, that there are these unskillful qualities arising in the mind. And when they arise frequently, then we know them frequently, we practice frequently. And so we bring our mindfulness here to gain this knowledge which is up to speed with these events, knowing them arise, knowing them as they cease, seeing them as just arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. That the mind is like this way. And we tell ourselves that this is how the mind is. Don't go and attach to the things that arise within it. And sometimes there are good thoughts, sometimes there are bad thoughts. But any unskillful qualities that arise, we put effort into abandoning them. And we also put effort into not allowing the unarisen, unskillful qualities to arise. And this right here is right effort. But we shouldn't go and suffer when the mind thinks about things which are not good. And because it's been the state of the mind for a very long time now to be this way, to be thinking in this manner. And so to try and overcome this, to try and defeat it in just one day and one night, it's probably not possible for us to do that. And so what we need to do is to look at what's going on. And if any of these unskillful qualities arise, then we try and cut them off right there. The things that don't bring benefit to us, we just throw them out. We don't do them. If the mind thinks good things, then we use those, we follow those. And we just carry on practicing in this way. And when we just keep on with this, we carry on doing this, and then we'll need to meet with peace of heart. And the mind will need to become gathered and settled. 
And then we'll see for ourselves what this peace is like. We come to contemplate the body so that we gain an understanding of it. That is something that needs to deteriorate. It's something that needs to break apart. And we see that this is the reality of the body, that it's something that always changes. But for the most part, we don't want that to happen. Old age, sickness and death, do we like that? Do we want for these things to happen? And if we don't want them, then why do we receive them? Why is it that the body needs to get old? Why does it need to grow painful and sick? Why does it need to die? Even though we don't want for these things to happen. It's because this body is something that's beyond our control. It's outside of our sphere of influence for the most part. And so is it really appropriate then to consider it as being me and mine? For example, if we were to live in a house, and through conventions uh, we took that house to be mine. And so if, if by the conventions of the world it really was ours, then we'd be able to stay in it, and no one else would be able to make us leave, because it's ours. But if that house didn't actually belong to us, then someone else would have to come and get us to leave. And so it's the same with these bodies of ours, that if they really did belong to us, then we'd be able to stay in them forever. We would be able to stop them from breaking apart, we'd be able to stop them from deteriorating. But that's not the way it is. We see that we just borrow these bodies temporarily from this world. We borrow the earth, we borrow water, we borrow air, we borrow heat from the world. And that's what gives rise to these human bodies. So we see that with more and more humans being born in the world, we have to borrow more and more of these elements from the world. And this is destroying the environment. And this brings its results as well. It brings harmful results to both people and animals in this world. Uh, because the elements of the world are becoming unbalanced. And so it's heating up and it's causing difficulties for the animals and the humans here. There's more heat, there's less natural resources, and so things are getting out of balance. And it's difficult, becoming more and more difficult for us to live here. And within these bodies, if the elements get out of balance, then illness arises. And so we contemplate that these things, they're not me, they're not mine. They're not an animal, they're not a being, they're not a self, they're not another. So we come up with conventions about many different things. We suppose that this type of person is a male and that type of person is a female. And these are just conventions that we establish. But if from the time that we were born, we had the conventions the other way around, we said that a male was a female and a female was a male, and then that's how we would actually see things, but that's how we would take things in the present moment. Or like with ducks and chickens, if we were to say a duck was a chicken and a chicken is a duck, um, then that's how we would understand things. But we should contemplate to see that they're not actually real, that these are conventions that we've come up with. 
And just like this hall that we're sitting in, if just 10 people came in through this hall, then we would see it as being something big. But if there were 200 people packed in here, then it would get a lot smaller. And so it being big or it being little, this is just proliferation that comes from our minds. The hall itself, it doesn't claim to be any of these things. But it's the mind that proliferates this hall, that conditions this hall, and this happens within the mind itself. But really, these are all things which just follow nature. The things which arise, they stay for a little bit, and then they cease. And they're doing this constantly. And so we should get to know and understand nature. Like the nature of this body, of the breath. It comes in, it stays for just a very short while, and then it leaves. And that these bodies are able to maintain their life force is due to this breath, due to it always coming and going in this way. But we see that if the breath comes in, but it doesn't leave, then this will cause our death. We won't be able to stay in this world for any longer. And all of the wealth that we have in this world, we'll have to just leave it here, we'll have to drop it here. We're not able to take it with us. It's only ours through convention. And if we really cling to these things, then we'll experience great suffering at that point. But if we know how to use them, how to bring about true benefit, then this brings up merit. This is great skillfulness that we're creating within the heart. And our external wealth gets transformed into noble inner wealth that resides within our hearts. And so we come to practice the Dhamma. And really what we need, what we take to practice the Dhamma, are just these bodies and our minds. This is what we use in our Dharma practice. And we train these minds to have mindfulness, to recollect the body, the feelings, the mind itself, and Dhamma. And we get to know what these things are like. And through doing this, then the mind reaches stillness. And so we get to understand the, the nature of these things, or what are they like, what are the qualities which arise in the mind, what are they like. Are they a being? Are they a self? And we get to understand these things. And if the mind understands Dhamma, then it will experience great happiness. But if there's great hatred and delusion which come up in the mind, then this makes it more and more dark. But for the mind which has seen Dhamma, attained to the Dhamma, gotten to know the Dhamma, then it always becomes brighter and brighter, more and more radiant. So therefore, if we seek for external wealth, this doesn't really bring true value to us. And the thing that really has great value, that has the most value, are these minds of ours. So we really should be using our time to seek out our minds. That we look for external wealth in order to support our lives. But we need to use our time to seek out these hearts of ours, to train them, to polish them, so that they get great value to them. But that which covers over the heart is ignorance, is attachment. 
And these are what prevents the mind from becoming bright. But when these qualities are absent from the heart, then they'll become more and more radiant. There'll be more and more joy within our minds. But if the mind is dark, if it has a lot of suffering, then we need to find a path of practice that will take us out of that. We need to try and look for our own hearts. We need to try and seek out Buddha. And we seek this out within our own minds. And so the Buddha found these things. He found the state of awakening. And he took this Dhamma to teach us. And so for us, we should practice this. We should really put this into practice and cultivate our minds. And may you set your hearts on this.